0: I'll invite us as God's people to open God's word again and turn our attention to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. We've been in this passage a couple of weeks as we're looking at God's vision for our church, his really vision for his church in general, but also in particular our church as those who are ambassadors of Christ from this passage in 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to look today, beginning in verse 18, down through verse uh, 6. So let's give our attention again to the reading and the hearing of God's inerrant word. <clears throat> Paul, having spoken about Christ's love compelling him to live for Christ and, and giving a new mindset He says now, beginning in verse 18, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time, I listen to you. Labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet. We are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return... I speak as children, widen your hearts also. Father, would you come now and speak your word afresh to our hearts through the teaching and the hearing of this passage? Lord, we ask that you would clear away all distractions, that you would fix our hearts and our minds on you. Lord, that you would unstop our ears that we may hear with faith and in hearing we might believe and be changed. And Lord, in all of this, we ask that you would make us fit for the calling you have for us as your ambassadors. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we come to this third message in this short series focused on our vision to be, as a church, to be Christ's ambassadors, let me just remind us briefly again where we've been. In this passage from which we get our church name, Paul is both defending as well as in some ways defining his own ministry as an apostle. And, and by extension, the, the ministry of, given by God to his people, to his church and he grounds this this calling by Jesus and this and his connection to Jesus and and now his commission from Jesus he grounds it all in the in the life-giving and and love producing reality of what God has done in the gospel in in Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. He roots everything in that truth and in that reality. Jesus' redeeming, reconciling love radically changes everything. It transforms and alters our our motivation and and what drives us and our mindset and how we view uh, the world around us. And ultimately, it transforms our mission in this life. And Paul says, Because Christ died for us, we also died a sin in self, and thus we live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised for us. As ambassadors of Christ, we live for our king, abiding in him, empowered by his spirit, guided by his word, seeking to, to glorify the Father in all that we do. And that new motivation to live for Christ, Paul says, gives us a a, a new perspective, a new worldview. We no longer regard one another according to outward standards of the world or the flesh. But instead, we see one another and we see the world around us from Christ's perspective. We view others as those who are, are made in God's image, those who are created for his glory, those who are gifted by his grace, and yet Also burdened and broken by by sin, blinded at times to his truth in need of his reconciling love. And thus, as as those who have received that love and have been loved by our king, we are now called to love like our king. To be attentive and responsive to to the needs of those around us and to the world around us in practical and personal ways. And today we want to look at at how living for our king and loving like our king leads to and serves this this third leg or this third pillar, if you will, on which our calling and vision as Christ's ambassador stands. To lead to our king. To point others to the one who has, has redeemed us and reconciled us to himself. We are his ambassadors entrusted with a mission to share the ministry and the message of Christ, our King, to the world. And what I want to do this morning as we look at at this element of our vision leading to our King is to see what Paul says about the mission that, that we have been given as well as to just touch on briefly the method that he gives as an example to carry it out. Let's look first at our mission. Paul defines the mission he has as an apostle. He defines the mission that we have as ambassadors for Christ in in terms of reconciliation. He says, all this is from God. All what? This this whole transformation, this new life, this new love, this total makeover of being a new creation in Christ is all from God. It's not something that you and I are inclined towards naturally it's not something that we're able to do ourselves a reconciled relationship with god is not a factor of or a result of our just turning over a new leaf or or looking at getting a new lease on life or deciding to just to just try and live better and do better Paul says, it is all from God. It is a work of his grace. It is a gift of God himself. And what has he done? He says, through Christ, God has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he emphasizes it again. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And so in order for us to, to, to know what it is to engage in this ministry and message we have been given, we have to understand the nature of this reconciliation of which we are recipients. The need or the, the fact of reconciliation presupposes there's some, there's some uh, 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 relationship, uh, estrangement or alienation in our relationship. As I said to the kids, to reconcile means to make whole again, to restore to friendly relations, which means that that the fact that we need to be reconciled indicates something is not right. There's a break in that relationship. And Paul is clear here that the relationship he is speaking of is between us and God. God reconciled us to himself. God is reconciling the world to himself. The most significant relationship we can have. The relationship that we were created for that impacts every other relationship in life. The harmony and fellowship between creator and creature established by God when he created man and woman, you and me, in his image and walked in harmony of fellowship with them in the garden that was broken and Paul says it was broken by man's sin against God. He's clear that the source of this need we have, we have the source of this need for reconciliation with God, he says, is our trespasses, our sin against a holy God, our, our crossing over the line of God's authority. And this, this trespass against his will affects an estrangement. It affects an alienation in relationship in the relationship that affects every other relationship we can ever have. And so our, our alienation from God causes us now to be estranged from ourself and estranged from one another and estranged from the creation overall. Our enmity and alienation from God yields this, this sense of, of brokenness in every other sphere of life that we face and we feel every single day. If we're honest with ourselves, apart from understanding the the gospel, we are not at peace. (laughs) Whether it's with ourselves or with others around us or in the world in general. Which is why the fact that God is the subject of of this whole thing that Paul is talking about, reconciliation. That he is the author of this reconciliation. That's why it's such good news. It's why it's such an amazing demonstration of his love. You see, the alienation which this, this reconciling work has to over, overcome is actually two sided. <laughs> it's not just that we have sinned and we need to make things right with God, but there's something that God has to deal with on his side of the equation as well. Reconciliation is not accomplished just by our, our laying aside our, our enmity, our fear, or our sins. Against God. It's not just deciding that, that we are going to repent and seek forgiveness and walk in God's ways. It's not just that we must be changed. Those are all certainly elements of reconciliation. Those are all certainly benefits of the gospel and, and what God has done. But the real effect of reconciliation comes in what God does in dealing with something much greater and much more serious from His side. The reconciliation we need is affected by by something that's taken away. And it's the removal of of God's God's just judgment, the putting away of his, his righteous condemnation, his wrath against sin and rebellion. Our sin brings upon us the just condemnation, the wrath of God's judgment, and the reconciliation we so desperately need cannot be accomplished without that being satisfied, without that part of this broken relationship being dealt with. And so Paul says, God is, has reconciled us and he's reconciled the world to himself in Christ. How? By not counting their trespasses against them. Where there is sin, there has to be a reckoning. There has to be an accounting for it. There has to be, there has to be a, a balancing of the, of the accounts, if you will, a payment for that, that debt or that transgression. And this is, you yeah, know, we understand this. It's just a principle of justice that we all understand. Mom or dad, when, when your child does something wrong, they may know they have done something wrong. They may be sorry for their transgressions, but you deep down recognize we still have to deal with that. (laughs) There still needs to be uh, 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 some way to account for it, to make it right. If a law is broken, there are penalties, there are fines to pay, there are sentences to be served. And for God to not count man's trespasses against him requires, because of God's justice, to be... For them to be counted against someone else. <laughs> someone who does not have to account for his own sins. And Paul reminds us that someone else is Jesus Christ. God takes the initiative in sending his son Jesus. He is the author of our reconciliation. And Jesus comes and becomes like us but has no sin to be accounted for. He comes as the second Adam in perfect harmony, perfect union with God the Father, living in perfect submission, perfect obedience to his will, and, and, and offering up perfect love and compassion and grace. And yet in suffering the alienation and the rejection, the full effects of man's sin against God in his own life, he then bears that punishment, he bears that, that penalty, The wrath of God against man's sin in his own body and death on the cross. And that's what Paul says. God makes him to be sin for us. That doesn't mean he makes Jesus to be a sinner. It doesn't mean that that Jesus is just a a sin offering kind of outside of of our sin in order to pay just like the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament. But it says he made him to be sin on the cross, all our sin, all the sins of the world, in all its ugliness, all its pain, all its suffering, all its violence, all its brokenness, all of that is focused in on Christ on the cross. Like the, like the burning rays of the sun all, all coming through the, the magnifying glass and being pinpointed in one, one area God's wrath is is poured out and Jesus bears this this judgment and therefore bears this estrangement and this alienation and this condemnation for sin in his death in our place and so God's wrath for our transgressions was laid upon his own son and God the Father and and God the Son acting in perfect harmony and love and perfect union and fellowship and in Christ's death and resurrection affect this reconciliation, this peace that God brings for sinners. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That we might, we might have not our own righteousness, but God's righteousness reckoned to us, revealed to us, and lived out perfectly in Christ, his beloved son. It might be counted <laughs> to us. And in Jesus' bearing our sin that we deserved. we receive the reward of his righteousness before God. Now, why is all this important? Why is it important to really understand this as we think about how to... Help others lead others to the king. Because as those reconciled to God in Christ, Paul says we now are entrusted with this ministry and this message of reconciliation. And it's important to remember this because it's not our job to go out and effect this reconciliation. It's not our job to go out and make people be reconciled to Christ or give them some some steps that they can follow to be reconciled to Christ. Oftentimes we'll go to people and we'll say, you know, have you made peace with God? (laughs) And that's not the right question. (laughs) Because it is God who has made peace with us and so to engage in this ministry of reconciliation, now lived out in our own lives, and to proclaim the message of reconciliation is to go out and to, and to lead people to the one who offers those terms of peace. To our King Jesus, who through his own death and resurrection calls people to come and receive that reconciliation which he has accomplished. And so just as the Roman emperor had a a consulate or or a representative in each city, just as as a nation like the U.S. will have an embassy and a place in each city where there is someone who, a person of authority who can speak in their name, who can communicate his decrees, so we are commissioned by God in Christ as Christ's ambassadors, to go with, this, with his authority, to speak in his name, to appeal on his behalf. Paul says, as though God himself were making his appeal through us. Think of that. God uses you and me. Paul, a chapter before, said he takes this great treasure in jars of clay and he speaks this message of reconciliation and he demonstrates This reality of of reconciliation through the voice and through the lives and the ministry of his people who have been reconciled. And so to implore and beseech people to be reconciled to God is to, to announce, simply to announce, terms of peace have been established. Therefore, come, come to the king. Come and see and and receive the peace that he has purchased for you. It is to show them the way to refuge and asylum, the way to permanent forgiveness and freedom, to lead them to the security and safety of the kingdom in the sheltering sacrifice of the king. And Jesus Christ, who has exchanged his life for yours, who has stood in your stead on the cross, he does that, that we might now stand in his stead as ministers and messengers of this reconciliation to the world. That's the mission that we've been given as Christ's ambassadors. In Christ, to live reconciled lives with God and with others and to declare the good news of that reconciliation to others. A reconciliation that is from God, that is through Christ, and that is offered to all who will hear and receive his salvation by coming in faith to the king. You see, God is the one at work. Jesus is the one making his appeal. He's doing it through us. We are working together with him. He is working together through us to show and to share the good news of reconciliation. Well, how do we do that? If our mission is to take the ministry and message of reconciliation to lead others to our king who has reconciled us to himself, what what is our method? Why should people listen to us? (laughs) When we say we're ambassadors for Christ, we represent the the king of kings. How will people know that we're we're for real, (laughs) that what we say is true? That was what Paul faced as well, and the apostles. There were people challenging his word, questioning his Methods seeking to discredit his ministry and message. And ironically, Paul points to some of the very things that people were using against him to commend himself as Christ's ambassador. He says, Look at my life. Look at my life. It's not his persuasive speech, it's not his popularity among the right people, it's not the size of the ministry that he has or the number of churches that he has planted, it's not the abundance of his possessions, it was not the the blessed life from the world's perspective that people would expect from someone who is God's emissary. He says, we commend ourselves to you in every way. All aspects of our life authenticate and verify and reveal the reality of God's reconciling work. His method was both message and ministry. It was both proclaiming the gospel in word and deed. It was authoritative announcement backed by authentic demonstration of Christ's reconciling grace. And what was it about His life that made it commendable? What was it that Paul pointed to that said, Here, look and see? Well, first he says, We need to be careful not to create barriers to the gospel. He says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. Paul's very careful not to to see those things in, in his life that might become a hindrance, might potentially discredit the gospel. And he's not talking about compromising the the message here. He's not talking about softening the reality of our alienation or the need that we have for God's reconciliation. He knew the gospel itself would challenge people. It would be a stumbling block for some. So he doesn't back off from saying Christ is the way of reconciliation and we need to be reconciled to God. But he also doesn't want anything in his life the way he conducts his life in his ministry, the way he interacts and engages with people to distract or dissuade them from considering the call of the gospel? What obstacles might people see in us that would keep them from seeing Jesus? Do we speak about forgiveness and yet fail to forgive? Do we talk about about God's sovereignty and and his working all things for good and yet moan and complain about our circumstances? Do we tell people God welcomes and accepts them as they are, but then we put conditions upon our welcoming and accepting them? You know, if you're teaching a child to walk and, and you want them to make it across the room, You're careful not to go scattering things around to get in their way. You're going to go out there and make sure the way is clear. You want them to make their destination. You want to pull aside those things which might trip them up. Paul says we don't don't want our ministry, we don't want our message to be discredited before we even have a chance to communicate it. We don't want it to be discredited because of careless lives. So he says, we seek to put no obstacles in the way of the gospel. And then Paul points to to kind of three areas where he sees his life commending the gospel to others. And and we'll just look at these very quickly. It's in crisis and in character and in confidence. He says, we commend ourselves to you in every way. And first he points to to the crisis, the crises, the struggles, the hardships that, that life brings and how... We deal with those. If you want to see the the reality of someone's walk with the Lord, you want to see the reconciling grace and power of the gospel, watch how someone responds in the midst of hardship. Many expect that being reconciled to God means we should no longer face suffering or trials, but rather... The promise of Jesus is not to remove the troubles of this world, but to be with us in those troubles and to help us persevere through those troubles. And so therefore they become a means by which we we can reveal the reconciling and redeeming and, and restoring grace of God in Christ. And Paul gives a pretty comprehensive life of life's troubles, all of which he himself had endured some are just the common difficult experiences we all face at some point. Afflictions, hardships, calamities, broken relationships, lost jobs, failed dreams, stresses of marriage and parenting. Some tragedy or nat- natural disaster. A terminal illness, the death of a loved one. We can think of all ways these things that are just part of, of the difficulties, the hardships of life in this world. Life in the, in the time these end times before Christ returns. Paul says others are difficult as we face at the hands of others, the result of sin or evil against us, beatings, prisonments, riots. We know from Paul's life he had his share of all of these and more and and we don't often perhaps experience them on such a scale as many other believers around the world do, suffering persecutions for their faith. But even on a smaller scale, we understand rejection or ridicule, perhaps being mocked by friends or family, perhaps our being marginalized by others around us or in the media. Paul says we have these hardships from, in some sense, from without And then Paul III notes voluntary trials, the hard work, the sleepless nights, the deprivations that may be required as we we seek to to serve Christ and sacrificially love others. Staying up all night with a friend in need, giving up time with family to engage in in some service to others, dealing with a hard conflict that takes your, your time and your energy and drains your emotions Paul says in the midst of of crisis, in the midst of of the troubles of this world and and of sin, and even of our our just seeking to, to, to walk faithfully, often the kinds of trials that those who don't know Christ face themselves. Paul says in those things we have this opportunity to lead people to the king who endured the greatest of suffering. Now, nobody seeks suffering, (laughs) and everybody wants to avoid it. But as those those reconciled to God by a king who suffered for us, we are called and we are free to enter into it, to enter into it and, and persevere in it, remaining under it, confident of the refining work of God in it, that, and, and that will help people to see God's grace and his love in Christ. One of the most powerful ways to lead people to the king who suffered for us is to let them see us trusting and relying on our king who now suffers with us. The fact that we face crisis does not negate our ministry or message, but it actually can serve to authenticate it as we we endure hardship with the peace and the patience and the perseverance that come in knowing Jesus has and will deliver us. And we can also enter into the sufferings of others with that same hope and point them to the King. So our message in ministry is commended in how we deal with crisis and it is commended in how we demonstrate character. Paul says we commend ourselves by purity and knowledge, patience and kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech, by the power of God with weapons in the right hand and for the left. And we don't have time to go, go through all of these, but Paul here is concerned with, with these inward graces of God that are, that are manifested in outward actions. Our endurance often in the difficulties of life, difficulties of life can be met with a, with a kind of tight-jawed, resentful, maybe perhaps just grin and bear it approach. But, but Paul says when our life is reconciled to God, when we are endowed with the sweetness of his love and of his grace, then the, the character of Christ begins to be shaped in us. It begins to be, to shine through us. Paul lists a number of fruits of the Spirit here, and indeed he acknowledges that a life of purity and patience and kindness, love and faithfulness to God's truth is the work of his his power. It is the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus said to his disciples, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And so the the weapons that we fight with are not those of flesh and blood, but they are the, the, the weapons of God's Spiritual work in our lives, the weapons of righteousness, the fruit of a sanctified heart that belongs to God. And lastly, Paul ends this section on a triumphant note of confidence in Christ. And and again, we won't look at all of these in depth, but he notes seven paradoxes. And in essence, what he is saying here is that through the, though the world may see me, may assess me in one way or another, though the world would look at these, these hardships or the, the foolishness of my message or the, uh, the suffering that I'm enduring and they may have one conclusion about it, Paul says, I go based on what? The truth is with God, God. What God knows about me. Paul does not put his confidence in the flesh. But no matter what the situation. His confidence was in the truth. And the reality of his reconciled relationship with God. Whatever the world's assessment of the situation he faced. Paul knew that his surety. His security. His identity was in Christ alone. And thus he could, he could live in the brokenness of this world with a triumphant joy in Christ. And so brothers and sisters, how do we lead others to the king? How do, we, how do we point people to Christ? How do we bring them the ministry and the message of reconciliation? Well, I think Paul sums it up well in verse 11. He says, we have spoken freely to you and our heart is wide open. It comes when we, when we not only know the reconciling love and power of, Christ, of God in Christ, but we know it such that we live for Christ and love like Christ in the midst of crisis with godly character and joyful confidence in our King, and we do it with lives wide open to those around us. We do it by opening ourselves up to others and by pouring ourselves out for others that they might... See that reconciling love and that redeeming grace of Christ through our lives. And then to speak that truth, to share that message of where our hope comes from in Christ. Some of you may be here this morning. And to think about leading someone to the king is so intimidating to you and so overwhelming to you that you just kind of think, I can never do that. Paul says, we've been entrusted with this message and this ministry, and we do that by living it out, <laughs> by living our lives for God, by loving others like God, like Christ. Christ. And in doing so, by pointing them to our King and sharing that ministry and that message with them in grace. And Paul says, now is the day of salvation. And if you're here this morning and you haven't received the reconciliation God has accomplished For you in Christ. Today's the day. It's to know that. To trust that. To put your faith in that. And then to see yourself as one who is called by him. To now take that to others. Let's pray together in Jesus. Father. It's a weighty thing to consider ourselves, those whom you have entrusted with this treasure. The power, your power unto salvation in the reconciling work of your son Jesus Christ who died and rose for us. And Lord, you have said your power is made perfect in our weakness. So we receive this message and we receive this ministry with humility and with with an understanding that that we are not in and of ourselves fit for such a calling. But Lord, as as we understand that, as we embrace the reconciliation you have achieved for us, As we enter into that renewed and right relationship and we we, uh, uh, experience the grace and the love of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you call us to go and to take that to others. And so Father, there are people maybe here who need to hear your call, be reconciled to God. Lord, would you open their hearts to that reconciliation. And there are people in our neighborhoods, in our community, those who come and visit our church, those whom you call us to go and visit and minister to, Lord, who need that message and to see that ministry lived out. And so would you cause us, as your ambassadors, to commend ourselves in every way to those around us that they might be led to you, our King. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.